Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 22, verses 1 to 11 and 16 to 24. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. This is the word of the Lord. If we uh, lose power for whatever reason, I would just yell at you, okay? Um, If you've grown up in the church or any kind of religious background, probably you figured out either because somebody said it to you directly or you just kind of figured out that's how it works, is there certain things you don't talk about in church? Maybe sex, like no one ever, oh, the junior highs are running out of the room. It's not because I said sex. It's actually just their class, okay? So you guys can head out there. <clears throat> yeah. The rest of you who would like to run, sorry, you can. Right? Maybe you grew up in a tradition where like, it, unless it was like about those bad people out there who do bad things or whatever. Maybe you never heard the words doubt in church except to be critical of those who had it. Like it wasn't talked about that doubt may actually be a part of a journey of faith. Maybe 
what wasn't talked about in your church or your religious tradition was the people from the front of the room never talked about the junk in their lives, the mess that was going on with them. Maybe it was found out about sometime later down the road, but no one actually ever said it. You never thought that the people from the front actually had the same struggles and battles and stuff going on inside them, around them as, as you did. And maybe no one ever talked about the messy history of the church, of, of your particular church or of church in general. And so even as we have been in this series, and if you're new or you're just joining us today, it's a series called I'm Not Okay, where we're talking about mental health, we're talking about addiction, we're talking about grief and loss, we're talking about a lot of things that maybe we've never talked about in the church. And we said, because in part, it's really hard for us as individuals and as a community and certainly in faith communities um, to put up our hands and say, I'm not okay. It's hard for us to do that. And so we've wanted as one of the goals, the simple goals of this series is just to make it a little bit easier in our community, in the home groups that you're in, in the friendships that you have in this family to be able to say that and know that's actually common more than I would like or to, to think. Another word that maybe um, is not used from the front of the room or talked about the words abuse and trauma. One of the guys I listen to on podcasts is an author and a professor. He says, why is it that the words sexual abuse are never spoken out from the front of the church? Abuse and trauma. And there's lots of reasons why I think the church doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Um, in part, because the church has at times taken the same role as the culture maybe and shamed the victim or tried to explain away what has happened. I've even heard people who have said that they were encouraged to stay in an abusive relationship um, you, where spiritual leaders gave them the advice, well, that's what it means to turn the other cheek or that's what it means um, to love your spouse or to be sacrificial. That scripture was actually given as reasons why people should remain in abusive relationships. And so the church actually becomes complicit even indirectly in those situations. There's other times where people are given um, comfort or supposed comfort from scripture verses about, oh, it's, it's a trial, it's suffering, you, you'll sort of get through it. And, and in a sense, just either people indirectly or um, directly feeling that someone's telling them to stop talking about it. We know even at times that the church has been complicit in just covering things up and not allowing things to actually be said and not actually coming around those who would put up their hands and say, I'm experiencing abuse, I'm experiencing trauma in some shape or form in this way that the church has actually been complicit in covering up or even in the worst case scenario, actually been perpetrating the abuse. And so there's so many ways that religious communities and churches, I mean, we just don't need to go very far. And maybe that was your experience growing up. Maybe that's something that you read about or you knew people. And maybe that's why you, you actually have stayed away from church for many years or never even wanted to come because of all of that that was a part of it. And so there's so many ways that the church has, has dropped the ball when it comes to actually talking about this. And so for our part, we just said, no, like we want this to be a community where as hard as this is, for, for any of us involved and any of you who are walking alongside people who are even today going, oh man, we're going there today. As hard as this is, we just know we want to be a community to say, no, God cares about these things. 
And we've said all the way through this series of I'm not okay, one of the big questions that we have when we're going through seasons or experiences, and particularly maybe in the cases of abuse or trauma, the question is, where is God? And so we have to be able to have those conversations and talk about it together. But the other reason is this is widespread. Just some of the statistics um, from StatsCan on this, on abuse and trauma, that just uh, shy of one in three people, they say, will have experienced some form of abuse in their family of origin growing up as children. And I think if we added um, emotional and psychological abuse into that, this was just sexual or physical abuse. If we added that, I, I would guess the numbers are much higher than even one in three. They say of the over 600,000 sexual assaults that happen in Canada every year, 5% are reported. And they say one in five women and one in eight men will identify as being harassed in their workplace. And so this is a widespread experience for many people and many of us maybe even in the room. And so we just have to be willing to say, hey, we're gonna talk about it. This is what, part of what it means to be the church. Even as we do, um, Sorry, one second here. Uh, we maybe just need to take a deep breath. Uh, because I get that for some of you, this is really close to home. It's maybe a live conversation for you. This may be the first time you've thought about it or talked about it. And I just want you to know we're, we're praying for you. I, I come into a message like this with a heavy heart simply because I just don't want to do any more damage. And so my hope is, even in a message like today, that for any of you that would say, yeah, that has been my experience, that is my experience now, I'm not really sure what to do with it, I'm walking with someone who is, that you would feel like, okay, I think I'm seeing a little light coming into this. And so we have prayed for you and just um, believing that God wants to do something in your life through this. Psychology today defines trauma as this. Trauma is the experience of severe psychological distress following any terrible or life-threatening event. Sufferers may develop emotional disturbances such as extreme anxiety, anger, sadness, survivor's guilt, or PTSD. They may experience ongoing problems with sleep or physical pain, encounter turbulence in their personal and professional relationships, and feel a diminished sense of self-worth due to the overwhelming amount of stress. And so whether it's as a result of abuse or a traumatic event or a life-threatening event or whatever it is, many of us may be able to say, yeah, I have some of that trauma. I have that in my life. I have some of the experiences of um, a diminished sense of self-worth a struggle with anxiety or depression or stuff that comes in get, that, that gets triggered um, you know, un, with, without any warning in a relationship, in my school, in my workplace or whatever, that many of us can identify with this, with this definition of trauma. And so as we are actually kind of coming into this as a community, we want to be able to say, hey, this is part of many of our experiences and how do we not only find God in this, but how do we become and continue to grow as being a community that knows how to journey together in it? The psalm that, uh, well, we're using the psalms this, this um, series because our hope 
is that you will begin to learn how to pray the words that God has given you to pray in times and seasons where you say, I'm not okay. And that actually many of the Psalms and the song writers, they were words that even though they were personally written, they were given to a community to use, to give the community words to sing and to pray. Because if maybe you've had this experience before, wherever you happen to be in your relationship with God, there are times and seasons where you think, I have no more words. I don't even know what to say. Perhaps you felt like you've prayed about something, you've run out of words to say it. Or you're simply in that case where you're saying like, I don't even know where God is in this. The scriptures actually give us words. And through the writings and the prayers and the songs of other people, we are actually led into God's presence. And Psalm 22 is one of those Psalms. And maybe there's the first time you heard it read. Maybe you've read it before, but maybe you've never thought about this, that it is a Psalm that is one person's description of an experience of extreme abuse and trauma. I'm not being clever with trying to spin it to fit that Psalm into what we're talking about today. Maybe you've never realized that that's what that Psalm is describing. It is an individual writing. It is a Psalm of David. So they attribute this Psalm to King David and he was writing. And and if you listen to the words and you pay attention to, to what he's describing, it is an acute and detailed experience of both the physical, emotional, and the traumatic experience of abuse that this individual. First of all, we see he's describing a kind of physical abuse that's happening. He says that I'm surrounded by enemies. There's this perspective that he's writing about where he's saying, I'm surrounded by enemies, people who are against me. He says, I have been stripped naked. He says, all my bones are on display. In other words, completely exposed to the public. That has been done by my enemies. Um, He says, I have been pierced, my hands and feet. So there's a physical attack on his body. He says, at one point, I am poured out like water. It's a description of bleeding, right? When we say like, I'm, 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 fl- I'm bleeding out, like liquid is coming out of me. It's an experience of, of bleeding. And so the psalmist is describing the physical assault on his body that's resulting in, in, um, in, in bleeding out. And then even a description of possessions being taken in front of him while he's watching the one thing that he owned being taken from him. And so this is a detailed description of, and it is abuse because we're saying this is, this is people who are in power doing this to a victim, physically attacking them. And, and I think it's important we talk about abuse for understanding there's so many different sides of it. There, there's physical, there's sexual, there's emotional, there's psychological, there's verbal. This individual is describing the physical aspects, but he goes on to talk about the emotional abuse that he's experiencing in it. Listen to this. He says, though there are people who are mocking me and gloating over me. In other words, the ones that have the power over me are mocking me. They are using their words to beat me down. There is a gloating. There's like, we got you. There's a making fun. Like when someone is being exposed, then the words and, and even passersby but just as bad, he said, there are people who are just staring at me. This is the bystanders. People who aren't perpetrating it, but who are watching it and doing nothing about it. He said, there are people who are watching me. That itself also is exacting a toll on him. It's why he's describing it. And then he says, I'm being surrounded. And he uses these uh, words, bulls, lions, and dogs. Each, each word uh, in, in sort of Hebrew culture and the Hebrew language is describing a different dynamic of being overpowered. 
He said, the lions are, are they're, they're tearing me apart. In other words, there's a, there's a viciousness of the attack that I'm feeling. The bulls and the horns of the bulls that he describes in Psalm 22, horns were always used to describe strength in, in, in Hebrew culture. And so he said, the horns of the bulls, in other words, this is a power over me. I am powerless in this. I am disempowered in this experience. And then he says dogs. And the dogs uh, in, in Hebrew culture, when some, it was an insult. And it was someone who was, had no regard for, do, for God or for other people. And so he said, there's a, there's a viciousness to this, to this um, attack on me. There's a power that is powering up over me that I'm disempowered. And then there is a, a total disregard for me, for my dignity, for everything that's going on. And so he's describing the, um, this is, these are descriptions of what's going on emotionally inside him, even as he's experiencing this physical attack. And the result, of course, is the trauma associated with it. He says, I'm exhausted. This is a day after day, night after night thing. And so we know that there's a poetic thing that's coming in here as well, that he's explaining this has had an effect on him, um, in, inside him, day and night. I can't escape from this. I'm being, in a sense, this is, this is not about being triggered. This is living in that moment over and over and over again, day and night. And then he says this, he said, I'm a worm and not a man. This is describing the experience of saying, as others have mistreated me and not seen me worthy of good treatment, I am now beginning to not see myself either that way. He says, I'm a worm and not a man. There's actually a, a self um, there's an infliction of the wound of the self. That's, this is what trauma does psychologically. He says, I don't even see myself as worthy. I'm a worm. This is what it's doing to my psyche. And then he says, my heart is melting inside me. This is the, right, a description of what is happening to my life. The heart being kind of the, in the scriptures, the center of all things. A mind, body, soul, where, where it all comes to the middle to the center. He says that the center of me, the core of me is melting away. This was a, a, a song given to the worshiping community of a description of this experience of abuse and trauma. Now we know a number of things about the life of David and so, and it certainly, he, he certainly had experiences where people were attacking him, but we don't know whether he experienced all of this actually physically because he's describing some things that according to his life doesn't seem happen to him. And I say that to say the most significant aspect of this Psalm is that it details something that happened to a man about a thousand years later named Jesus of Nazareth. It was written a thousand years before the life of Jesus. And yet, if you read the detailed descriptions, all of these things happened to Jesus of Nazareth during his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And it's interesting because they, they think he, he's describing crucifixion here in terms of nails, uh, uh, nail, or like pierced hands, pierced feet. And they were pretty sure that it was the Carthaginians and the Assyrians who invented and started using um, crucifixion about 500 years after David wrote this Psalm. So there's some sense in which he's writing, he's writing about his own experience, but he's writing about something that hasn't been experienced yet. And yet all of these things actually happened to Jesus Christ. 
when he was arrested, he was accused, he was mocked and beaten. When he was crucified, his, his um, hands and feet were pierced. It says, my, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You know, there's this drying out, I can't breathe. They say crucifixion victims actually died of asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. That's how they died. And so he's describing not being able to breathe. He said, I'm, I, and we know Jesus was stripped naked and the, and the, and the, the um, soldiers cast lots for his garment, his clothing. And so he's describing all this. In fact, the very first line of the psalm is something Jesus cried out in Aramaic when he was on the cross dying. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's what I think is going on. On one level, he was actually asking God, why have you forsaken me? On another level, every Jewish person in earshot of his cry would have known exactly what he was saying. He was claiming that psalm. He's saying, this is my story. He quoted the first line of the psalm. The opening line, and they didn't just memorize verses here and there. They didn't have daily bread, you know. They memorized the whole thing. They would have known the entire psalm. And there he is on the cross crying out to God and also saying to them, this is what all of you are doing to me. This is what's happening right now. He claimed the whole psalm just with those first two sentences. This means something so profound. Even if you have... Uh, said, oh, I'm not really sure who Jesus is. I'm still trying to figure this out. This means something so profound. The fact that when God chose to come into our world, he chose not to use power in his own good. He chose not to take a position of power, but chose to identify with and be someone who was disempowered and who was victimized that God became flesh and blood so vulnerable, so accessible, so touchable that people could actually grab him and rip the clothes off him, beat him and kill him. God chose that position, that place as he came into this world. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And so what does it mean for us that Jesus Christ was himself a victim of abuse and the trauma that came with it? It, it means that God suffered like us and with us. For those of us that would say, yeah, I've experienced stuff like that. Either in the distant past or my recent past or in the present. That God himself has suffered like you have suffered. He also has been a victim of abuse and trauma. Which means this, we can just say this to begin with. God is not okay with what happened to you. God's not okay with what happened to you. I, I know that I think because Jesus on the cross did not choose any, so many other Psalms he could have said when he was on the cross dying. 
that would have expressed hope, that would have expressed, oh God, I trust you. You're faithful. You do all these things. Psalm 16, he could have said, no good thing do you withhold from those whose walk is blameless. He didn't use that verse. Instead, he says, why have you forsaken me? He claims the psalm of abuse and trauma for his own experience, saying, I am not okay with this. It's how we know God is not okay with what has happened to us. And maybe because of the way people around you treated you or the church represented it, somehow, even though you wouldn't have said that out loud, that truth got in that maybe God just doesn't care about this or maybe God would tell me to be quiet about this or maybe God would try to cover up because he doesn't want me to soil the name of the church. God is not okay with what has happened to us, which means we need to be able to say that, that it's not okay what happened. For some of us, that's just the beginning point of even be beginning to deal with this. It's not okay what happened. But it also means that we need to move to the next thing that Jesus says by claiming this psalm. He, he was also saying, and I'm not okay as a result. I remember when a couple of years ago when... Um, a number of women from the U.S. gymnastics team came out and the stories of abuse that, you know, Larry Nasser, who was the doctor for the U.S. gymnastics team at uh, University of Michigan. And there was a number of girls and women who came out and said um, with courage, it's not okay. And that took a tremendous amount of strength and courage for them to say that. But I remember listening to one of them thinking, okay, but it's not just the strength to say I'm not okay. It's actually now vulnerable. Uh, it's not okay to vulnerability to say I'm not okay as a result. That's another level of vulnerability that for those of us that have experienced it, it'd be hard to say. It's courage to say and strength. It shows strength to say it's not okay what happened to me, but it actually takes vulnerability to go and I'm not okay as a result. This has messed with me. Some of us would say, yeah, like it's actually affected my decisions. I made some pretty bad decisions. I didn't deserve that. I didn't decide to be abused or to suffer the trauma, but from that, it has messed with my decisions. Or it's messed with the way I see myself. It's messed with my psyche, how I view myself, my self-image, who I think I am, what I think I deserve in life. That's another level of vulnerability and courage to say, I'm not okay as a result of it. And Jesus in claiming this Psalm is saying, I'm not okay with this. That's why he claimed that Psalm. That's why he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Look at what's happening to me. Look at the people, the dogs, the bulls, the lions that are surrounding me. God, I'm melting away. Not only is it not okay, I'm not okay as a result of it. Or maybe the most profound thing that those of us who say I identify with is not only, you know, it's something, right? When you meet someone who's been through what you've been through, like, and you begin to talk and you get, okay, I don't need to tell you 90% of what's going on in my life because you get it. Like you get the inside stuff because you've been through. Maybe the details are different, but you get me and understand me. 
God who suffers like us and with us is someone who says, I understand. Even if you feel like nobody else does. Even if you feel like you've tried to talk about it and nobody really understands or they give you terrible Bible verses to try to talk you out of it. You know what's interesting? You know when it says, they're mocking me and gloating me and saying, where is your God? Friends, can we just be honest that sometimes we do that to each other by quoting Bible verses to each other. When we say, oh, just have faith, we're not trying to mock but it actually sounds like, hey, don't you have enough faith? Sometimes we can actually be in that place. And so maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't feel like many people around me understand this, but the one thing we can say is, wait, if God himself has chosen to be like this, if he has suffered like this, the details might be different. But what he's describing there and claiming is saying, these are my words. He's saying, okay, you understand. But it's one thing to have someone who has suffered like us and suffered with us, who says, I'm in this with you. It's okay to say, you're not okay as a result. You're not alone. I am with you in this. But it's a whole other thing when we realize that Jesus also suffered for us. Isaiah says it this way. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering and by his wounds, we are healed. It is not just that our God has suffered like us and suffered with us, but the scriptures actually tell us that somehow in his suffering, it was a suffering that was doing something for our suffering that the wounds and the marks on him were doing something for the wounds and the marks that would be on us years later. And that somehow in his suffering, there is the hope of healing for ours. When we talk about healing, what, what do we mean? We don't mean, hey, you're healed because Jesus suffered. We don't mean that somehow God goes back in the past and eliminates those things. But we do mean that God has an ability and actually through the suffering of Jesus can reach back into our past and begin to lead us into healing. It's interesting because I was prepping this sermon a couple weeks ago and just this last week, the initial verdict or whatever, um, the proposed compensation by the University of Michigan came out for these girls that had testified. And the lawyers just said like, that's a ridiculous suggestion that somehow that little money is going to help heal. And as I reflect on it, it's like, no, there's no, there's no money. There's no amount of money that could be enough. No one can put a price on that. Healing can't just be through sentencing, through recompense. It has to be deeper than that. Yes, we can ask for justice and a sense of that God is just can be a part, but healing is much deeper than that. Any of you know that? Even if you felt like the person who was the perpetrator in your life got, got convicted or got, got their just due or somebody hurt them too, that doesn't heal us. But the scriptures say that through Jesus, we can experience 
a healing. And when we talk about healing, we don't just mean in a spiritual sense, because as we said from the beginning of this, that this is about body and mind and spirit. This is about the whole person. That the hope we have in Jesus is that somehow through his suffering that he was saying, ahead of time, I was suffering on your behalf and through my suffering, you can experience healing. It's what it means to be the community of Christ that we hold out hope for ourselves and each other that healing is possible. The reason we know that is not simply because Jesus' suffering was a suffering on our behalf, but the scriptures say that after three days he was raised from the dead. That the suffering and abuse that he experienced that caused his disciples to completely abandon him and hide for fear that the same thing would happen to them, that the risen Jesus appeared to them. And they who were unwilling to face any kind of pain were actually willing to go to their death within the months and years that would follow. It doesn't make any sense unless something happened that made them go, wait, we don't have to fear death anymore. And so friends, you and I live between those two realities, between the suffering and death of Jesus that was a suffering like ours and with us and for us and the resurrection that he experienced that we have not yet experienced, the full healing in our body, in our mind, in our spirit. But I know, I know, I know he can do it. I know it partly firsthand. A couple weeks ago in our home group, my wife, Jen, shared her story. And if you've had a chance in your home groups to share your story, whatever, if you haven't done it yet because you're worried about what people think, just it is such a blessing to hear how God has worked in each other's lives. And one of the things she shared about, not in detail, but just that God had brought her through both, you know, an abusive relationship that she was in before I met her and some childhood trauma, like before that. And I met her, you know, within a few months of a bunch of stuff happening. And she just told me her whole story when it was 20 years ago, we met a little over that. And I have watched over 20 years and she just, you know, described this story a little bit to our home group, how God has healed her, like amazingly. Like so much freedom in her life, especially in the last few years, like a new sense of freedom, a new sense of identity, healing in all the ways we have talked about. And I've just, you know, like I'm sitting there watching it for 20 years, knowing that God does this. And here's what we noticed as a home group as we were listening. It was not fast. 20 years. And there was no one thing. No one can promise you, just do this and you'll be healed. There was no one thing. It was many things. It was people, individuals, like spiritual leaders in her life who came to her and said, you're not in a good place, you need help, who came after her, who when she turned to them said, of course we will help you. It was people who spoke the truth about who she was and how they saw her. And she said, she said you know, I, I, she said this to me, she said, I never really believed that that's who I was, but because they kept telling me that's who I was, I wanted to be that person. As God healed her view of herself, and I'm not telling tales out of school. I asked her and she talked to her home group, right? Babe, right? 
It was people, individuals in her life who went after her and said, we, 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 we want to help you. Even when she felt like she wasn't making good decisions, they're like, hey, you're not in a good place. You need help. Like friends, especially junior high, senior high, young adults, you got to do that for each other. We live in this ridiculous notion that somehow if we love each other, we're never going to say anything difficult to each other. That somehow if I love you, I just accept everything you do. That's not love. That's me loving myself because I don't want to be discomforted and having a difficult conversation with you. So have the hard conversations. Hey, you're not in a good place. Can I help you? I'm here for you. It was also prayer ministry. There were two different instances where she got prayer ministry and we're starting to do this as a church prayer ministry just where a couple of people are just praying for you for a couple of hours into the things that God is listening, that we're listening to God and saying, these are the things that where this person needs healing and freedom, whatever. And she had two separate sessions, both of which about a year and a half or two years apart brought tremendous healing into her life. She also went after God herself and saying, I need you. I believe in you. I know who you are. And God gave her a new experience of his personal love for her and his healing work in her life. Also counseling and the role of counselors and mentors and all of that stuff. It was a whole bunch of things. And so I just know that God does this. Not only that, I got the blessing of being around someone who is courageous enough to let God do the work in their lives. And her life and her healing has brought healing to the messes in me. That's how this works. That God does something so beautiful even out of things that you say, how could this be good? It wasn't good, right? Like, let's stop saying, oh, God did this to you because he's doing good things to you. No, on the cross, Jesus is saying, and the psalmist is saying, there are lions and bulls and dogs. There are evil people doing evil things. That's not the work of God. But I'm crying out to God in the middle of it as I'm experiencing evil saying, God, do something. God, turn this around. God, heal me. And not only does he do that, he begins to use you as a healing agent in many other people's lives. And that's what he's done through Jen for many other people, me included. And so that's how I know he heals. But I also know no one can be prescriptive of you saying it's gonna come soon. Don't worry, let's just pray or here's this or try this. This is one thing that's probably the missing piece. No one can be prescriptive about it, but we can hold out hope and say, we know God does this. This is what he is doing. This is what he promises to do in your life. And so for you, if you're someone saying, yeah, I'm in that place, maybe for some of you, step one is just to begin to have the courage and strength, even through the Holy Spirit to say, it's not okay what happened to me. I have to stop justifying it. I have to stop explaining, well, my parents were stressed or my grandparents or oh, I know they, they did the best they could. Yes, they probably did. That doesn't mean it was okay. We have to stop some of us explaining away why what happened happened. Oh, I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. And we, we just, many of us just need to say, okay, it's, it's not okay. Some of us need to move to the next step, which is saying, you know what? I'm not okay as a result. This has affected me. I don't want to admit it. I don't like it. I don't like feeling like that somehow. And I'm afraid if I say that, that somehow I'm still trapped in that. That's not true. But it is the next step of saying, okay, this has affected me and I'm not okay. This is affecting even in ways that people wouldn't see. Or you say, why do I keep choosing this thing? Or why isn't this shaking? Maybe there's a connection between that. And the third step that all of us 
need to go to and continue to get to say, okay, I need help to heal. It's not okay. I'm not okay as a result. And I need help to heal. I need help to heal. And so for, for, for those of us that are in that place that are wanting to take that step, healing looks like a bunch of things. For some of you, maybe counseling. Most of our staff, I think even at present, see counselors. Some of you grew up in a generation, some of you 55 plus were like counseling was stigmatic and it was like for people who came back from the war or something like that. Is there are people God has gifted and equipped to be able to help us identify what's going on inside and how that's affecting what's going on outside. And so some of us need to do that. And if, you're, if we, have a, 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 we have a small roster of people that we're connected to in our city that we really trust, that we recommend people to, we also have money set aside in our budget to help those of you that say, I, I need it, but I can't afford it. So we have money for that. So please don't, don't let that be an obstacle. For others, prayer ministry, you may say, yeah, I, I think I need a prayer ministry. I don't know what that is, but I think I need it. You know, I, there's something I've been, I know I prayed and I prayed and I had people pray for me after church, but there's something inside. It's not, it's not moving. There's a block. There's a shadow. I hear voices, whatever. There's something that's acute that's going on that say, I can't, I can't shake this thing. Maybe some of you have the experience even at night where you just feel like you can't breathe or there's, you feel like attacked at night and sleep. There's some of those, are, those are maybe some of the symptoms or indications that I could use some prayer ministry. For others, it's community. It's just being able to say, okay, not, not everyone in the church needs to know what's going on in your life, but if nobody knows, that's not good either. We need to have, you know, appropriate privacy. So maybe there's just one other person that you trust enough to say, can, can you be safe for me? Can I talk to you about this? Maybe it's a couple people in your home group. Maybe it's your leader. Maybe it's one of the pastors on staff, whatever, to reach and out and lean into community. And for some of you actually to just begin to go back to God with this. Say, okay, I've turned away or I've never even actually gone to God with this. How do I lean into this? It's not any one thing. And nobody can prescribe how one thing's gonna lead to another, but we do know we believe Jesus' wounds have offered healing for ours. And so I just wanna encourage you if that's a step, wherever that may be, whatever's next for you, to be willing to do that.